This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Football. A podcast that covers four footballing topics in 15 minutes or less. Succinct. Insightful. But most of all, entertaining. So yeah, welcome back to 15 Minutes of Football. You might have been following us before under Transfer News Central's sponsorship in many ways, but now not only do we still have the backing of the wonderful Transfer News Central website, but we also have the backing of the equally wonderful Big Heads Media Group. Big Heads Media Podcast came to us looking to expand our podcast from its wonderful roots. And now we are hoping to bring a new dawn to this podcast. 15 minutes of football. As we've already said, we discuss all footballing topics in 15 minutes or less. And I'm delighted to be with Jordan Dover. Hello, everyone. Yes, nice to, nice to be back in the podcasting world. It is. I mean, Jordan's had lots of claims to fame. He was in... Uh, the Lord of the Rings as an extra, as one of the Orcs. That's where we met, actually. Jordan's a big Everton fan. I'm also a big fan of Burnley, but this podcast covers all Premier League teams and gives an insight as well into the world of European football, something we are going to cover in the fourth topic of our 15-minute segment. But for the first three, we usually look at a topic of note in the footballing world, question perhaps this first one being our Manchester City in pole position for the league title after yesterday's big clash with Liverpool and Man United we will then look at some of the transfer speculation that is going on in the middle of January before looking at our analysis of Premier League club in Sheffield United we'll thoroughly break down what's gone wrong with their season and where they will hope to respond in the future and then we'll look across Europe some of the biggest results in some of the biggest divisions outside of Britain. But first, go to the first topic at hand, Manchester City. Maybe not the obvious starting point, given the clash of the Titans yesterday between Liverpool and Manchester United. But to me, Jordan, it seems like they were the outright winners of that clash because they have a game in hand. If they win it, they go top and they're in scintillating form at the moment. Are they the favourites to lift the Premier League crown? If you're a betting man, then yes, they are the favourites. Happens if you're uh, not a betting man, though. If you, well, I, I guess it's all up in the air, isn't it? If you're not a betting man, there's there's more than just the three teams in it. Mm. But but I'd say they're the favourites. For me, mm. at least, they're the favourites. Mm. I mean, for me, I think it's quite, you know, what what it's symptomatic really of a of a Premier League season like any unlike any other. The second game of the season, the second game of the Premier League season, Manchester City welcome Leicester City to the Etihad. They lose 5-2 and everyone's saying that the club are in crisis. The next Premier League game, they could only muster a 1-1 draw against Leeds United and 
they're really struggling at that point. And just at the start of December as well, they lose 2-0 to Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur. And people again are thinking, this is a stuttering city. This isn't the city that we're used to. Cue a month and a bit later and they're flying. They're absolutely flying. And one thing in particular that people could point to is the partnership of Ruben Diaz and John Stones conceding only one goal in 10 Premier League matches when they have been together. So how much would you attribute to the defensive solidity? Uh, how much would you attribute the defensive solidity to City's rise to the top again? Well, it, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it, that how much of an impact the two of them are having and their partnerships having. Uh, as you say, they've only conceded one goal in 10 matches playing together. And I think the fact that they're playing week in, week out with one another is also a massive benefit because one thing we've seen, particularly with Pep teams in the past couple of seasons, is a lot of chopping and changing. Uh, the only defender in the last few seasons that has really come across as a successful signing has been Laporte. Uh, a lot of people wrote off John Stones and Stones and Laporte never really uh, showed a strong partnership, did they? Uh, but Diaz has come in and the two of them look really good together. Is Diaz signing of the season? If they win the league, then yeah. Good fence. The way, the, way they're, the way they're playing and the way they're going, if they win the league, then I think Diaz has to be signing of the season. And that's I mean, someone who would argue tooth and nail about James Rodriguez. But hmm. Well, as much as I do admire Mesut Ozil 2.0 at Everton, I do think that... <laughs> And what you see with Ruben Diaz is the complete package and something Manchester City have been looking at for a while. It's quite mobile, big, physically dominant, brilliant on the ball, threat in the opposition box as well, and doesn't make very many defensive slip-ups. He is the signing that Pep Guardiola has been wanting for, or not him particularly, but the defensive recruit that Pep Guardiola has needed for a very long time. The best defender they've signed since, obviously, since Vincent Company has, has left the club. In many ways, I think he's better than Vincent Company was in terms of the role he had under Pep Guardiola, but maybe not from a leadership perspective. And I'm talking now about yeah, company, company under Guardiola, not Company under other yeah, managers. As you say, I think because he's so balanced in his game, because he doesn't get injured, maybe like Americ Laporte has done. It's allowed John Stones a platform to build off where he's got a stable partner that's always playing week in, week out, and that's helped John Stones' game. And as a result, I think he's cut out his defensive mistakes that we'd, be, we'd become so accustomed to seeing. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I, I think it's testament to just how good they have been defensively, but that is the, the main attribute of the City side now. You, you, you look into any game that they're going to play and you think, they're probably going to keep a clean sheet here. They might only score one or two goals, but they're going to keep a clean sheet. Uh, uh, and there's a lot more confidence in the defence than there is in the attack at the minute. Which, mm. I mean, if you look at City over the last few seasons, that's the opposite of what, what we've said for the, these mm. last few seasons. Well, I would say that as well probably links to the rise in, rise in prominence of Ilkay Gundogan as one of the number eights. Mm -hmm. Now, we've seen Gundogan is so versatile. He can play as a number six, a number eight, a number ten, and I think even as a false nine, because Guardiola's even talked about that possibility. Yeah. A real jack-of-all-trades. And I think what Fernandinho did when Manchester City was so dominant, he was such a dominant lone number six. He was fast. He could pass. He was physically 
quite dominating, even despite his small height. And he was basically the perfect midfielder for that setup. And now that he's got older and they replaced him with Rodri, Rodri's very good defensive midfielder, but he doesn't have the speed and mobility of yeah. Nandini. Mobility's his big weakness, I would say. I, I think you're right with that. But when Gunduan's alongside as an eight, he can drop in and they can have double pivot shapes and he can help out on the defensive aspect and he can help transition the ball forward as that link, I guess, between the six and the Kevin De Bruyne, who's slightly more advanced. Mm-hmm. And what you've got, I think, is a, is a really well-oiled machine in that midfield. And Gunduan's now finding a purpose almost as the, the person between the advanced eight and the six. And he's been one of City's best players this season. One of the people that's gone under the radar, really. He scored a fantastic goal against Crystal Palace. Yeah, fantastic finish in the top corner. Yeah, and against Chelsea. And he scored quite a few very well-taken goals from deep line runs. Yeah, a lot of his goals have actually come in the six-yard box as well, haven't they? And if you look at the average position, well, I don't know the exact number, do I? But if you look at the average positions of the City players, both him and De Bruyne are really getting up alongside whoever is playing that false nine, whether it's one of them as well. But there's kind of three of them up in that, that most attacking position. And he's benefiting from that. Well, yeah, I mean, they've said Manchester's Guardiola's said on record in the past, if you could play with 11 midfielders, he would. So he loves the midfield position because he likes to dominate games. And the people that dominate games traditionally are midfielders. And recently we've seen Kevin De Bruyne as a false nine. We've seen Phil Foden in that position as well. Bernardo Silva. I mean, it's almost a it's almost a false position. Well, false nine, but it is almost a position where everyone kind of rotates. You can have yeah. Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, De Bruyne, Foden, and so on. And he's got people talking. I've seen this on social media in certain aspects. Do you know with all of those brilliant midfielders and the domination that they have, if Kevin De Bruyne could improve his finishing a little bit, or some of the other midfielders could improve their finishing a little bit and have that knack to find the goal. Then do Manchester City need to spend £100 million on a striker? Or could they win games with the unpredictability of not having that forward player, but an ever-rotating set of midfielders that keep taking up that position? Well, I think they're proving now that they can win games with that setup. But, I mean, if you can get that 30-goal-a-season striker, mm. and ideally at City, someone who can is maybe got a bit more, bit more height and is able to, to put in some of these crosses that, Kevin De Bruyne's putting in, then he's gonna gonna get a lot of goals and they're gonna consistently win more games, I would say. And that's obviously gonna benefit them in the long run. Well, yeah, I mean it's one of those, isn't it, where they they have a phenomenal team and they are the as I say, the the sleeping giant in many ways. They've rose to prominence recently, when it looked like they were in a bit of a a crisis of of identity. I think yeah, there was a there was a point, wasn't there? A few games into the season where people had almost written them off as yeah. title challenges. Yeah, uh, and I mean, United have come to the forefront. Liverpool have obviously been there throughout, but yeah. people did write City off. And even even when people were suggesting Spurs had a shot after mm. that Man City Spurs game, mm. uh, people were still saying at that point, "Oh, City, no chance." Mm. But uh, not I think me, you're right, not me. The, not you, but I think no. the defensive stability is, some, is something that they've built on over the last 10 games or so. And uh, I think it's something that they can just flourish on over the, the, the coming games. Well, you search on it again, 0.89 XG against. And as I noted, and as sort of 
rebutted. I said that the Leicester 5-2 loss maybe takes that into account, but as you said, maybe skew the expected goals too much. But even aside from that 5-2 loss to Leicester, I think the 2-0 loss to Spurs, Manchester City have only conceded really when they have just the one goal in games. You yeah. know, and that's very occasional. One of those, I think, was an own goal, actually, by Ruben Diaz in the West Brom 1-1. It was, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, titles traditionally were built on defences, strong defences. And recently, well, actually, Pep Guardiola really was the person who came <laughs> in and changed that narrative and said, well, no, we can, we can score five, six in games. And now it's going back to that old narrative of building from the back and defensive... Yeah. Liberty and, and, it, and it's really good to see. I mean, you're a big fan of Jao Cancelo as well. I am a massive um, fan, yeah. And he's he's someone that, that is so creative as a fullback, and it isn't the your traditional tr- creative fullback. He's he's almost becoming an extra midfielder, and it's something that Pep's really built upon this season. Mm. And it's why Cancelo's getting so much game time, both as a left back and a right back. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he, is be, he has been phenomenal. And I think when Manchester City do have the opportunity to sign a left-back, I think they probably will, because obviously it's yeah, quite agree. nice to have a right-footer on the right and a left-footer on the left. But then you imagine that it's Kyle Walker's threat, uh, place that's under threat, because well, as good as he has been, he's far I'm, better from the creative I standpoint. would probably argue that Cancelo is the first choice now, Ooh. based on, based on the, the recent performances. And I mean, Pep himself has said just how, how well Cancelo's played. Obviously, Walker started this weekend, but other than that, Cancelo started every game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has been uh, really, really... And, and from Walker's standpoint, he's been fantastic, really, for Manchester City over his time there. But I would say one flaw to his game is when he does get in the final third, the final pass isn't what Cancelo's is, to be fair. Yeah. I think it's more of a... Walker. Walker's sometimes someone who tries to use brute force, I would say, rather than... Yeah. Uh, finesse that maybe a Joao Cancelo does use. Yeah. I think that's a nice way of putting it, actually, as well. And you, we talk a, a little bit. The reason why I say this question, our Man City in pole position, the reason why I actually think they are is because Liverpool have had an injury crisis for the whole season. And to be playing two defensive midfielders at centre back is going to be a hindrance at some point. I mean, Fabinho has been outstanding. While he's been there, Henderson has gone in. He did actually quite well against Manchester United. He did well against United, yeah. He did. He didn't um, do so well in the other game no, either. No, but such an injury crisis is going to happen. It's going to take its toll. And it's taken a while, but actually the injury to Diogo Jota has really taken a toll as well on Liverpool because it's limited mm-hmm. their attacking creativity. And, and when you look at Man United, really... We know. I never looked at that at the start of the season where they had a poor transfer window and thought, this is going to take the title. And I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did a tremendous job to make the most out of what he has and to make a squad have some depth because I didn't think they had a lot, to be honest with you, at the start of the season. And he's improved a lot of players despite what some of his critics would say. But when you look at Manchester City, they almost have the full package. Certainly in midfield they do. World-class goalkeeper. Defence has now improved astronomically since Diaz has come in. Their their squad definitely sums up Mm. uh, the pinnacle of squad depth. And that was probably one of the main arguments against there being five subs, was the fact that squads like Cities are so good. And I mean, Mm. when when Emeric Laporte, who was Mm. probably many people's second best centre-back in the league over the last couple of seasons, isn't getting a game, Mm. then you know that you've got a good squad. 
You do. No, you do. And it can still be improved because there's a clear deficiency in, in, in strike. There's a clear deficiency at left back if we count, mm. don't count Cancelo as a left back. So there's still room for improvement, as mm. there seems to be across the board, really. Yeah. In fairness. But what I would say is, and this is something you completely disagree with, but it brings us on nicely to the next topic, uh, which yeah. we'll move on to in a second. But in terms of a striker, um, you know, Erling Haaland's been, been branded about a bit. And I, no, and you're, I know you know, but. The way they play, it's almost as if they don't need a striker for every game. And Erling Haaland, even though he has a nice release clause of about sixty-two million pounds, which some argue, which some believe to be re, in, uh, activated next summer, I think it comes into effect as opposed to this summer. But we'll have to wait and see on that one. What people seem to forget with that, when City's linked with them, is that the the agent of Mina uh, of Mina Raiola, of <laughs> Erling Haaland is Mina Raiola, and it might make a deal quite complicated. We'll touch on that slightly in a second in the next segment and we'll headline, we'll start the we'll start the transfer speculation with that. But from City's point of view, what they could do worse than a pro- oh. Premier League proven striker like Danny Ings, who has 18 oh. months left on his contract. He is a clinical centre forward. He only failed at Liverpool because he couldn't keep himself fit. And at Southampton, when he's been managing his fitness better, he's done phenomenally well. As I say, 18 months left on his contract, doesn't look like he's signing a new one. Would be quite cheap. Sometimes you need to take a chance on players, and I don't see why that would be a bad I, move for him. And it's a low risk move, maneuver as well. I think. Look, Danny Ings last season in particular was fantastic at Southampton, and he's I think he's done really well. He's working under a fantastic manager at Southampton, and from if I was in his shoes, I don't think I'd leave. I think he's got it. He's got a good thing going. Jordan, you're not in his shoes, though, are you? This in season, your shoes. This season, he's had his injury problems again. Not as bad, not to an extent where you'd be. Concerned. Not to the same extent, but yeah. he's he's missed quite a few games. And mm. while he's a fantastic finisher, I just don't think he suits what Man City need. If you have a choice where you can maybe spend more, but you're getting Erling Haaland, who's going to play for the next ten seasons at the very top level, right. I think is quite a, a, right. a fair thing to suggest. Right. Or Danny Ings, who's injury prone, he's getting old a bit. He's getting on a bit now. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's an obvious choice. You're obviously going to go for that elite striker who's who's going to carry you for ten years. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So again, that's wonderful. Uh, your short sightedness upsets me. <laughs> we'll move on to the second fifteen minutes of discussion, which is more transfer speculation and perfect, really, to start with the Erling Haaland narrative. He was actually linked with Chelsea yes. mainly, which I think is quite amusing seeing that they just spent £50 million with a deal that equates to about £100 million on a striker from the Bundesliga just this summer. <laughs> so I, th- I found quite a story to be a bit baffling, to be honest. Yeah, but I mean, would you be sense. surprised though? Would you be surprised yeah. if Chelsea spent that kind of money again on another striker? No, not really, because they got money. <laughs> well, that's it, so, that's it isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, we, we can question it, and I think we're going to question it now, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. Yeah. I mean, that is the, that is the main transfer story of today in the past few days. And it's been linked. I mean, to me, I look at Erling Haaland, super, super player, jack of all trades, big, strong, technically good, scores goals, links up play well, quite quite fast, getting in beyond, behind the Very line. fast. I remember watching a game, I remember watching the um, De Classica between Bayern and Dortmund, though. And I think that Lewandowski, best striker in the world, will, one of two with Ronaldo. Right Haaland, yeah. Haaland, one of the best upcoming strikers. You could tell the difference, in fairness. Haaland had about six chances and he scored one. Lewandowski had three chances and he scored them all, except what two of them were given as offside. So 
that to me would show there was a still a gap in the big game between two yeah, yeah, I think that's but a fair a fair gap though yeah considering a fair, no. age sure no I'm only saying yeah he's a he's a phenomenal player up and coming probably can get to those levels with development with the right development and the thing with uh, Haaland though is the Raiola connection now yeah. I actually after reading Ibrahimovic's book one of my favorite players he's very, he waxes lyrically about Mina Raiola because even though we have a negative image about him Ibrahimovic talks about how clubs can often try and manipulate players in signing Oh, absolutely. Poor, poor deals at clubs without an agent like Raiola to really get the best deal possible. And Raiola's played a masterstroke with Haaland because he got Borussia Dortmund signing for £20 million, which was considered a bargain. And Manchester United fans were going crazy. Why are we not signing him? Well, the, the caveat was that after a, couple, a number of seasons, he then has a release clause of £62 million where he can then go. Now, mm-hmm. what happens then is, if he goes to the next club and then they say, right, he's got a 95 million or 100 million release clause, this player could be worth double that with the inflation of the football market. Yeah. You know, it, it, as, as we as we know it after COVID. So that's the risk, I think, when you've got that. And we see with Paul Pogba at Manchester United, if things aren't going quite well at the club, Raiola doesn't mind having a few words will, in the media. Yeah, quite happily hmm. force the club's hand if we, yeah. shall we say... Yeah, so that's what that's why I think, and that's why I was touching on it before with Manchester City. I don't see that because one, Guardiola hates Raiola and vice yeah. versa. Two, Guardiola's a manager that doesn't want disruption. So if something's not going well, you won't get any, you won't get agents at Manchester City saying, "Oh, my player wants this, my player wants that," because that ruins the atmosphere that he's built, where he's the centre of the club. No one's bigger than him, no one's bigger than Manchester City. So I'm sceptical about that. It's the same reason I'd be a bit sceptical if Jurgen Klopp went for him, because it's the similar kind of vibe there. I actually think Haaland would be perfect and tailor-made for Real Madrid, because he's got the swagger, he's got the I'm the best forward in the world vibe about him, the way he struts about the pitch, the way he does his interviews, the way he conducts himself. I think he's he's someone I mean, who could go say, to Real Madrid and do that. You say Real Madrid, but you could yeah. also say... Barcelona, either of those two, because I think Barcelona will be looking for a new talisman, especially if Messi does leave. I think that's certainly a possibility. Obviously, the finances could be an issue. And you you mentioned Real Madrid as well. There's there's another name that they've been linked to, uh, not necessarily recently, but who would cost a fortune. And if they did sign Mbappe, I wouldn't imagine they'd also get Haaland. No. Yeah, I mean, it's all ifs, buts, maybe, and speculation. It is, but, yeah, it is. But, I mean, to be fair, Chelsea as well, we we, it, it, we talk about that, we critique the, the spending on strikers, really, and to be honest, it does seem quite laughable that they would spend well, that's so just extravagantly. Do you think, because, yeah. uh, as you say, it's laughable, and it is the fact that they've spent all this money on Werner, mm. and they've not, I mean, he's, he's had a chance. But, and Havertz. He's not really number nine, but yeah, I agree. No, yeah, yeah. They've not really played Werner as an out-and-out number nine in a full-strength team consistently, which is no. something I want to see. I know I know he's maybe better with with a big man next to him or something in a two-man strike force, yeah. which is something I would like to see them try. Yeah, But he's it, it's not had a proper run yet, has he? They've not given him a proper chance. Having said that, I think Haaland's better than Werner. I think he'd score more goals. I think no, I do too. The longer term, he's a long-term prospect as well. So yeah. I wouldn't be, uh, 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 although, it, as you say, it is laughable and it may be 
wouldn't isn't the best move on paper. It's certainly something that would work for Chelsea. Yeah, when I say laughable, I don't mean it would be a bad move. I just mean it's quite. No, I, I know that's not what you mean. No, well, I'm glad you clarified. Wasted money is perhaps more. You don't like wasted money, especially when I don't like wasted views. money. Um, so you know, I won't, I won't uh, reveal those live on here just in case. Um, but let's just say, no, uh, I'm only joking. Um, no, I think it's one of those, really, isn't it? Where I think, as well, to be Chelsea's number nine, there's been so many failed Chelsea number nines in the past. Yeah. Werner, I don't want to throw Werner into that bracket just yet because just as you yet. say, he's not had enough, not had enough opportunities, and yeah, we're, we're too reactionary. Supposed to be reactionary. We're a fickle bunch, aren't we? First, we're saying City won't win the league. I said they would. You said that really high pitch as well, funnily enough. I did. (laughs) Right. Anyway, yeah, I think that's the that's the broad. I mean, the 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 long story short is any club would have Erling Haaland because he is a talent and a half. Also, at a very cheap price. But then, suppose if you then get another slightly below expected valuation a few years buyout clause put into the contract, then that's, I suppose, what... Yeah, there's, there's added added hurdles in that deal, isn't there? But let's Indeed. move on to a... Yeah, no. A, a different transfer subject. Pick one. Meza Ozil. Yes. Fenerbahce. What yes. do you think? Well, I mean... I think it's one of those where there were many reasons why I don't think it worked out at Arsenal. There were some that many a lot people... of stuff that maybe wasn't on the pitch. <laughs> I think no. that's the main reason he's gone, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think that was that that was what I thought. However, I do talk to a few Arsenal fans from time to time. And while that is, as you say, quite prominent, if you don't know about that, probably won't discuss it here, but mainly political. Yeah. There was a thing that Ozil was someone who Emery had given up on, that Jönberg had given up on. So it's not like they were getting rid of a player that was incredible and no one could understand why he wasn't in the 11 every week. No, that the is shock true. to us was that he wasn't in the squad, I think, isn't it? More than yeah. it. That was the reason. Plus the fact, I mean, the big thing was mm. under Arteta this season, there was times where relegation looked at a potential prospect because of well, their lack of lack I call of that reactionary, ability. reactionary. Well, yeah, you might you can call it what you want, but they were bad. <laughs> Is they were the, good, no. the be all and end all of it, mm. particularly well, going forwards. And yeah. there was a lack of creativity in the squad. And mm. when you've got someone who's being paid as much as he's been, yeah, who's not making the squad, mm. and he's highlighted throughout his career how creative he can be. Maybe yeah. lazy, but that's a. a, a, a a different attribute. You want the creativity in the team, and mm. he didn't get the chance that he potentially mm. should have gotten because of political mm. reasons. Potentially, yeah. I mean, also giving him a deal worth three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week was crazy. And I yeah. actually was one of the few people that sort of insinuated that giving such a deal to thirty-one-year-old Abamyang might not be the best move. <laughs> and I mean, that's why I've changed my Twitter out now because um, there's only one. <laughs> Um, yeah, in case anyone was wondering, this is the Johnny Bentley, the not Johnny just Johnny Bentley. Bentley. Yeah, well, actually, and I just I just want a bit of context for this. I did try several other uh, apps, which you might not believe, but there's also a rugby player named Johnny Bentley. There's also oh, other players named Johnny Bentley. It. Who'd have thought it? And there's so many other ones. So 
Unfortunately, I had to take inspiration from Michael Owen, the Michael Owen, and go with something that was quite profound, not narcissistic in any way, and something that <laughs> just sort of, yeah, just you've just got sort of got to roll with it. You've got to have the Erling Haaland yeah. presence, you know, that's what you've got to go with. Well, another Jordan. man who's a bit of an egomaniac. <laughs> Danny Drinkwater. <laughs> yeah, uh, honestly, Danny Drinkwater is probably the worst Burnley signing in history. Uh, by 50, <laughs> well, yeah, he's someone that you know a little bit about, loan. don't you? <laughs> yeah, the biggest story that came out of Danny Drinkwater's time at Burnley, I remember, was that he got into a fight in a club because he was trying to chat up someone's uh, girlfriend. And he came into training with, a, I think he, uh, I don't know what he came into training with, but let's just say he didn't play, he didn't really... He left the training field, let's say, without much uh, impact on the pitch. Yeah. Like I say, for that to be yeah. the most prominent story of his time at Burnley says a lot. And yeah, he, yeah. He, I mean, he, ever he, since he signed for Chelsea, he, he's he's just <laughs> he's not had a good time of it, has he? And he's now going to Turkey. Yep. Where's he going? You're going to make me try and pronounce it. Kasim Passa is the way I'm going to well, try and well, pronounce well it. Well I'm done. probably butchering that. Well done. Uh, that's well done for trying. I don't know, but well yeah. done. Um, I mean, yeah. is it a good move? I did, right. So there's two things here with the Ozil thing. Going to Turkey. Turkey, as, as, as we all know, isn't the most like it, it's shadowed by many of the major European leagues. So a move for a, so bringing in someone like Ozil for Fenerbahce is a brilliant bit of PR there because. Yeah, you know it, it. It is, and it gives a lot to the Turkish league. Gives a lot to Fenerbahce, and it will. And Ozil will probably stand out in that division. I would imagine. Drinkwater. Will Danny well, Drinkwater stand out in that? <laughs> in that, that he's a title winner. He's a title winner. and He's a title winner. You're right. And he will. He's a player that maybe can, again, can offer a little bit to the to the Turkish division because, of course, COVID's affecting everywhere at the moment. And yeah. and this is, this is an opportunity to get a Premier League winner. And it seems weird saying that, but Premier League winner and somebody who featured in most of those games for Leicester City played for Chelsea. Yeah briefly and now they've got an opportunity yes, to sometimes. yeah he can revitalize I think he's probably career, got more game time for the under 23s isn't he maybe he did I don't, yeah <laughs> well he did he did and he also did some dodgy tackles in there he did as well that, yeah. it wasn't so good he did i mean so he did so he did jordan from ireland um so we're going to go you. from so he did. just just so he did so he did we're going to go through a few more of these uh done deals i mean briefly wilshire to bournemouth low risk Great yeah. footballer back in his day, back in the day, sorry. He certainly still has ability. And for the championship, maybe he can do a good job for a yeah. Bournemouth team that's in form. Yeah, they'll need to maybe not play him in every game in the championship, given the fixture turnover. But if you keep him fit, then I think it's a good signing. Very good. Snodgrass to West Brom. For me, I wanted Burnley to get Snodgrass. I thought this guy yeah. has talent. And the reason he's not playing for he's, West Ham is because they've got good squad depth now. He'll be a good, good one for Allardyce, yeah. Yeah. It is a very Allardyce signing, and I mean yeah. that in a positive way. And it, 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 look, I don't think West Brom will stay up, but I think that's the kind of signing they need to make if they if they want to make inroads into staying up. I agree with you. Yeah, great signing. I mean, to, they, they got rid of Austin on loan, who has goal scoring potential without doubt. Potential. Well, no, he's well, a I fox. Think... What's wrong with that? Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. He's a fox right. in the box, but he's always injured and he can't really move, which is also. Yeah. A bit like Fulham with Mitrovic, the you know, for Scott, it's like and we'll talk about this when we do talk about Fulham on a future podcast, no doubt. <laughs> with that, I suppose it's similar with West Brom, they don't want to play Austin because he can't move, 
but he will score yeah. a goal if he gets. It's an not opportunity. really very helpful. No, no. Uh, <laughs> no if you just sat in your own box yeah. and you hoof it up to Charlie Austin, mm. it's not really going to. But he does get you score anywhere, goals. He, he scores goals if it's laid on yeah. the plate to him. He will score exactly. goals. But that, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's yeah. I, again, some people were questioning that. Really, you can't because he can't move. But hopefully, he can rediscover his form at his old club in at QPR. Yeah. And do do do. Oh yeah, Diallo to Man United as well. We haven't talked. Haven't actually talked about this on the previous set of podcasts. No. Young young player. Lots of. Well, he's a bit of an unknown quantity, isn't he? Really. Yeah. Yeah. But highly regarded. Impressed. Yeah, I mean, highly regarded in in Serie A. Come into yeah. the club, as you say, not got lots of experience behind him. Very young, lots of talent. I think you got lots of you know young players. Generally, he's got a good track record, Solskjaer, of moulding them through and putting he them does. into the first team. Unless your name's Donny Van der Beek, but hopefully that ha- that opportunity happens for him eventually. I do think people are quick to jump on that. That Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't like Van der Beek when <laughs> you look at Liverpool and. Certain other players took a long time to get into that team. And yeah. I mean, Fabinho didn't really start playing regularly till five or six months in. And look well, what yeah, he's doing. And you say that, and someone else we looked at before, Ilkay Gundogan, he didn't really get a. No, he didn't. No. He wasn't a mainstay in the Man City team when he first no. joined, was he? No, fantastic. So, yeah, and for, he should come good. Yeah, for more, for more rumours, speculation, and so on, go to one of our wonderful partners, Transfer News Central. Follow them on Twitter. Look at them on Facebook. Anyway. Topic three, club analysis. We're going to try and cover all Premier League clubs at some point during this podcast. Yeah. It felt ap- appropriate to throw Sheffield United in now. And I say that with a heavy heart because Sheffield United at this moment in time haven't been relegated from the Premier League. So it seems, you know, it does seem like an inevitability <laughs> as opposed to a possibility. Yeah. And so, well, we're halfway through the season, aren't we? And they have five points. Yeah. Doesn't scream survival. It doesn't look good, does it? It no, doesn't look good. No. But yeah. I think Chris Wilder is a fantastic manager. Oh well, he's glad you said that, Jordan, because he was he was worried. He should be. So, he should yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, Why do you think he's fantastic? Well, I mean, it's what he's done over the years and the way he gets them playing. And yeah. I mean, they've only got five points, but I don't mind watching Sheffield United. No. Whereas right now, West Brom. I mean, Sam Allardyce has not got them playing good football, is what, what I will say. But he's got the winning games. He's, well, I mean, Chris Wilder's got Sheffield United their first win <laughs> against Newcastle, against a 10-man Newcastle. 101st victory for Sheffield United, is it? It was indeed. It was a long time coming. It was. 100, 100, he got 100, happy 100 against uh, Bristol Rovers in the Cup, didn't he? Followed by happy 101. He did. Yeah. That's, and... that's the... As the uh, Twitter account tweeted out, and I just wonder how long that was in the drafts. It's like a long win. time. It was a bit like me uh, with my Twitter handle, how long the, the change was in it the draft. Yeah. Just waiting for a narcissistic feeling day um, <laughs> to, to make that to make that alteration. But yeah, I mean, it's come down to a lot of factors. You said Chris Wilder's a good manager. He's really happy with that. I know he listens to this podcast and listens to yeah. interviews in particular. So um, that's wonderful. Hello, Chris, if, you, if you're listening. Hello, Mrs. Wilder as well. Uh, get the family uh, listening to Jordan and his views. But I think the, for me, it's, 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 a, it's a big collective series of, of problems, really, for Sheffield United this season. And yeah. I mean, we could talk about this in tandem, take a problem at a time. And we, you said this straight away, really. And I was hesitant. I did think he was a downgrade in goal on... Yeah. 
I've Dean Henderson, but Aaron Ramsdale's come in. Now, for me, I don't think he's necessarily a, a, a mistake a week goalkeeper like some people who aren't really looking seem to maybe have in the mind because he's not. He does not have fault for many of the goals. But this is the thing. Last season, Dean Henderson rated 7.4 xg for goals prevented so that's quite a, that's quite a high number of goals prevented across the season which you'd expect yeah. to go in the back of the net so, and yeah, only to bravka sorry jordan only to bravka gaita and Lloris had better expected goals prevented scores from last season and in when when, when we put that into perspective that's a you know he's saving them in a lot of games and yeah. ramsell this season isn't letting them down as such with, with errors in a lot of games, but he's not saving them either in a lot of games. So compare that to, say, Carl Darlow for Newcastle, who's had about three or four man-of-the-match performances for Newcastle this season. Nick Pope for Burnley, consistently seven, eight, sometimes nine out of ten phenomenal performances this season. Geiter as well, We last season for Palace more prominently. Yeah. One or two good yeah, maybe games. Maybe not so much this season. No, but... no, not quite as much. But uh, Ariola as well. Phenomenal, yeah. some phenomenal games for Fulham. The general trend is that a lot of the teams at the bottom have a goalkeeper that's very good at having those what we call clutch performances in that when the defence lets them down, they turn up and they make some three or four big saves. And Ramsdale, not necessarily in that category, is he? He's not. He's he, he just he reminds me a lot of Jordan Pickford. And Jordan Pickford's someone that I, I He's grown on me more in the last season of last few games because uh, he, he's, he's trying to cut the mistakes out at least compared to last season. That's good of him. And Ramsdale reminds me a lot of him in the fact that you always look at him as though there's a mistake in him. And I, I, at the How, minute, what's that look look like? Well, I think more than anything, it's in the defenders and their lack of confidence in him. And there's a little bit of a lack of organisation when you know that your keeper might maybe flap it across or maybe parry out the ball to, to an opposition opposition attacker. And it, I think it just... Or snap Virgil van Dijk, maybe. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It instills a lack of confidence in, yeah. in the defensive front. Uh, and I think that's one. What, that's probably the biggest reason that the, they've fallen off the cliff, the metaphorical cliff this yeah. season. Good, opinion, work, good and, word and there, I, Jordan. I like I that. Said that. I said that to you as soon as he signed it. That he's no Dean Henderson, and they probably could have done better if, if they mm. looked at a different league. They were in a desperate position, mm. and that's why they paid so much for him. Mm. But I think they could have done better. So what we look at here is quite obvious. In, in terms of not obviously a source of a, a, a problem goalkeeper, but not someone who saves them in enough matches, I think. That's yeah. why I think the Jordan Pickford one's a bit harsh because I don't think Pickford makes more obvious errors than, than, than Ramsdale does. But I think Ramsdale doesn't do enough of the big saves that you might expect for a goalkeeper or need from a goalkeeper at the bottom. We could just talk yeah. about Ramsdale for this, but I don't want to attribute Good. this to the Aaron Ramsdale 15. Yeah. No, he's... he's- He's not done well, but he's not been the only reason that they're doing as badly, has he? Yeah, well, we've There's... got here Jack O'Connell, less yeah. centre-back. Uh, prominent last season, played a lot in the three at the back. As I've noted down, his unique system, asked the, ask the centre-backs, to the wide centre-backs to overlap, contributing the attacking third. When they do that, midfielders often fill in, and it was a really interesting, unique yeah. system that Wilder played and, and succeeded with last season. And he succeeded with that system with a group of players that were 
predominantly from his championship yeah. uh, outfit. So that showed what wonders that he did last season. But this season he's been out and it's a very hard position to fill, I think, this centre. If you're not... As you say, it's such a unique system mm. that bringing in a, any kind of replacement is... It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Yeah. So just a bit of discontinuity at the back there. I do think that's probably had its effect. And you ask any Sheffield United fan, they'll tell you that. He was... Yeah. Him and Basham were excellent. Yeah. In that back three that never changed, they were excellent. And now that it's been out for such a long period of time, they've not quite had that same continuity. And then it's two changes, isn't it? to the resolute defensive before, the keeper and the left centre-back. And yeah. suddenly, it's just not as cohesive as it once was. No, you're right. And, I mean, we've seen in Wolves as well that they've mm. they've become a lot more frail at the back after changing a couple of their faces. Obviously, injuries have been an issue for Wolves as well. Mm. But it just kind of shows that the, both of them have, have struggled because of the fact that they're missing players and uh, and it's hitting them hard. Uh, they've, so, Sheffield United signed Ethan Ampadu, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, if you ask a Sheffield United fan, I don't think they'd be a big fan of Ampadu, would they? Because no. he's he's just not he hasn't performed at the same level that Jack O'Connell has. Even though he's a, a young player, shows a lot of promise. Mm. He, he, he's maybe not used to the system as well, and he makes more mistakes. I feel the problem is when you bring a lone player into an established setup and that's all ready for fight and grit and graft, and he's come in and. When the going gets tough, he probably thinks, well, I'm going back to Chelsea after yeah. this. And it's, not, it's, it's not the kind of thing you want in a relegation dogfight. Mm. And before anyone says, but Dean Henderson was on loan. Dean Henderson was on loan the season before in the Championship, so he knew the group. So I think that, that was, that's you know part of the reason why yeah. Yeah, they, they've done so well. Uh, then, obviously, four open play goals as well in 19 matches, as you've noted, 30 open play goals across 38 games last season. You've got well, it's just to point out, isn't it, the fact that it isn't just issues at the back. More mm. than anything, it's issues going forward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, you know, the thing The thing is, and I also think Wilder should stay, and you've got the perfect blueprint with what Norwich City's done under Daniel Farker. Yeah. Uh, came up from the Championship, played some brilliant football, went down, bottom. Some people called for his head in the media, he stayed. Now they're doing really well at the top of the Championship. With a bit of luck, they'll go up this season. And it's all because they stayed true to what they believed in instead of panicking yeah. and, and getting and they've, rid of They've also done well, Norwich, with transfer fees and I think that's going to help that's them That's what as well. the slight difference is, I think. When you look at Sheffield United, there's been so many people saying, oh, they need a striker. They spent over £60 million on strikers. Brewster, 25. <laughs> Liverpool, Michael Edwards is a genius at getting, yeah, at getting some transfer fees. I mean, you say that, Brewster... It, he doesn't start it, many games. He doesn't start many <laughs> games. And when he does start... It, he just looks a little bit lost, doesn't he? And I, I, I kind of feel for him because he yeah. finished last season so strongly at Swansea. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that in that post lockdown period, yeah. he was banging them in for Swansea. Yeah. And and I, I don't know what. There's just something that isn't quite right with him at Sheffield United, and mm. I can't really tell you what it is. And it, no. it's almost like a. Well, it's a good job because no one wanted position. to hear anyway, Jordan. So it's a good job. That <laughs> it's almost a poison chalice of a position, isn't it? Being a, a striker for Sheffield United. I mean, also, Aldrich, who's scored five goals a season. Yeah. After that, it's slim pickings. And McGoldrick was already there. And you look at the others as well. Mousset, who was like third or fourth choice striker at Bournemouth, could barely get a minute. 20 million? I mean, where's that come from? 
There's, you know, there's definitely been some questionable decisions, hasn't there? There has. It's almost part. like it's almost like the club's gone up unexpectedly, which they did. They survived as well, and in those transfer windows, they were struggling to find a player who would fit within their financial yeah. guidelines, and they panicked. Yeah, and they've got they've got some bad buys. Well, I think Ramsdale was definitely a panic because they they've been put in a position where they they yeah. found out quite late that Dean Henderson wasn't going to come again. Yeah, because United obviously said that they were. Which I him. think, really, in hindsight, I know he's improved to Hayes' performance, really having yeah. that backup. Yeah. I think he has, but from his point of view, I bet he's thinking, yeah. oh, "Wish I yeah. have, wish I'd have gone now." Well, yeah, and then and then you look at the the Bruiser signing, and yeah. it was again, it was a similar situation where you, they needed a striker, and yeah. everyone knew they needed a striker. They were going for Ollie Watkins, weren't they? And they, they got were, well, I think that would have been a fantastic signing. Yeah, he I think he's done really well at Villa. Uh, but the thing is, as well, with Wilder, and we, you said this with Brewster, he hasn't started many games. And I, I'm, by the way, I'm firmly Wilder in. But I do look at it and think there's been a lot of games where it's, you know, they're losing 1 0 or it's 0 0. And if the strikers haven't scored around just before the hour, he'll take both of them off and he'll put another yeah. two on. And I'm thinking, yeah. well, how are you supposed to get continuity when you keep doing that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, yeah. he's, he's trying to find solutions, isn't he? And yeah. I mean, Billy Sharp's going to come on the last couple of games. Yeah. But I think he's made a positive influence. Billy I quite like when he, he plays. Like I've had helium on some some of these um, <laughs> some of these comments, but uh, no, but I think we're both well in the the Wilder in camp, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. Uh, well, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to to throw rip up a project because you've had one, and it is a very bad season. It's it a is very very bad season, but yeah. it's dangerous to do that because you've got to remember overachievement getting promoted, overachievement finishing where they did in the first season, yeah, absolutely. and now reality's kicked in. So just as a a little question. Do you think yeah. there's any chance to stay up? They're on no. five points after 19 games. Yeah. Probably looking at, at then they European. need what 10 wins out of the last 19 games. Mm. I just I can't see it. I can't I see it either. And if you've got sense but... now, you've got to look, think about the championship. Wilder knows that division yeah. really well as well. He knows the football league. He's got a very a squad very much capable of bringing him back up. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of honesty in that squad. There's a lot of honesty. There's a lot of character. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a... You can see that in the games this season. They've not they've not lost many games heavily. They've only lost by the uh, odd goal. And... I think that's one more thing that has really impacted them as well, is the mm. fact that, that we're playing behind closed doors. Yeah. Because I think the, the, the fans, particularly uh, the Sheffield United fans, are, and that kind of club is one where the fans can give you that extra 10%. And I yeah. think that's something that really benefited them last season. And also, because, I mean, post-lockdown, when it was behind closed doors, they had a, an awful run again, didn't they? Yeah. So it, yeah. Almost everything's gone against them. <laughs> Pretty, what, much. What Pretty much. Pretty much. Awesome. And also, they made a really... Uh, just, to, just to touch on that, I was reading somewhere as well, that apparently it was a really big camaraderie thing whenever a player came in Sheffield United that they'd go to the pub or they'd go somewhere else and they'd integrate them in in a way where off, off the pitch they are all friends and they had a really yeah. good bond. It's harder to do that, isn't it, with the coronavirus and everything Absolutely. being closed and literally you're just going into work and then you're expected to stay at home. So, again, I think that kind of warm, inclusive atmosphere that they used to that they've always had under Chris Wilder. It's been tough to maintain that, I think. And yeah. as you said, without the fans, the, that whole feeling has been stripped away and it's literally just 11 versus 11 on the football field. And yeah. again, I think that's been tough. But yeah, in summary, follow the Daniel Parker and Norwich plan. And I yeah. don't think... Keep hold. Yeah, I don't think it'll and be we'll too bad. we'll hopefully see them back 
Yeah, I hope so too. Anyway, final section. Now, obviously, this is generally a Premier League podcast, but of course, even though Britain has left the European Union, that doesn't mean that we can't talk about European football affairs. Because there's been, I think it's one of those, and I've said this on, on our previous series of podcasts, the landscape across Europe in the football in terms is so unpredictable. Still, it's lots of crazy things going on. Yeah, in many of the uh, many of the divisions across Europe, and we are we are going to discuss that now. I mean, one of the things that we we'll start in Italy actually, because I think the big yeah, game for I, me, I was one of the big games. That, actually. Yeah, oh, fantastic, uh, fantastic. Well, one I mean, of the we look we've looked at the Prem already, obviously. But yeah, yeah. One thing that we've noted this season is how close it is at the top. There's so few points between the top teams, and it's similar in Italy. And we over the last over the last. 10 years or so we've seen Juventus at the very top mm. uh, and they've consistently won the league and now we've got AC, AC Milan and Inter Milan at the top as the top two and it, I think it's really great to see yeah and as you pointed out there was a massive game this weekend yeah yeah there was um sorry I just thought you were just going to talk for 15 minutes um no <laughs> it was a huge game between Inter and Juventus Master versus apprentice in many ways. Andrea Pirlo in his first yeah. managerial season, going up against the person who used to manage him, Antonio Conte. Yeah. And it was the old maestro that won the game. And to be honest, Inter really deserved it. They had lots of chances. Lauturo, Lauturo Martinez missing a great chance. Yeah. And in one of those, practically an open goal. But, uh, you know, Nicolo Barella with a goal and looking really impressive for Inter Milan. Yeah, he's one of Conte's key players. He goes under the radar, really keep filling the Ericsson position in many ways as to what Ericsson was signed to do, but he does more off the ball work. And also the the old statesman himself, Arturo Vidal. Arturo Vidal. Yeah, Conte Conte said, if he could go to war with anyone, he'd take Vidal with him. If I could go to war with anyone, I wouldn't take you with me. But Vidal <laughs> would be someone, wouldn't he? That you know, you can imagine just a real hard man. Yeah, and he, he's he, he's a classic Conte. So I mean, when you look at that Conte to Milan team, he got a lot of the players he wanted this summer, and they're all a lot of the players that he lines up with are all in the thirties, and yeah. it's almost like Conte relies on graft, grit, hard work, experience. He doesn't trust much in youth, but that team that setup that has the know-how has the experience without european football to contend with now they're not in any european competition well, yeah you've got That's to think they could the, yeah that he he's never really pushed in europe well but one thing you can't criticize is his record in the league consistently yeah. he will win league titles and it's almost like he pushes his players so hard and these are this is particularly old inter squad that if they were to go into like even if they're in the europa league you'd think well, this could be AC Melangia. They're doing so well this season. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say Ibrahimovic is by but he's been injured for quite a lot of the season, so it's been yeah. a bit of both. The, I make them favourites now for, for Serie A because this is a big result. While AC Milan are going to be contending with Europe on Thursday night, Inter are going to have a, a free... You know, they can sit back and relax and it's going to give Conte's game, which is all about high press, high intensity, it's going to give them that extra push now in yeah. those games. And I think having having someone like Romelu Lukaku at the top at the top of his game now is something that's really benefiting Inter Milan, uh, and it's benefiting Lukaku as well actually. And it, as an Everton fan, it's it's quite nice to see that he's been so successful, uh, and he kind of has grown into his potential. Real throwback striker as well. 
one of the one of he the, is, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He one is. of the people that can hold the ball up. Reminds me, he, he actually reminds me a bit of Fernando Torres in the way okay. that he's he's so good at getting in behind. He's yeah. fast. And a lot of people kind of put put a, a tag on him as being this oh he's big, he's strong, he's gonna be holding up holding the ball up. But he's really good at getting in behind and running the wings. He can hold it up as well though. He can hold it up as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean that Juventus as well, not quite as prominent as they have been in recent years. No. They've got a game in hand, but they're in fifth. A lot of draws, 33 points. And one thing you note about Andrea Pirlo's team, it's been a quite a relaxed atmosphere at events. I think Ronaldo's loved it. He's got a fantastic goal record this no, season. Has. But it's a mix of youth and experience. A lot of he's been trying out different formations, he's been trying out yeah. a lot of well, young he's, he's players. He's actually getting Aaron Ramsey back in the team, isn't he? As well, yeah. Which, I mean, it's nice to see, but yeah, no, it's but there's a, but as I say, there's been a lot of experimentation this year. Not only is the coach in his first year, didn't even have his coaching badges when he took the job of, 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 of Juventus, but also there's a lot of experiment with the lineups, with the formations, with the players. It feels like a very much a transition year, which is odd for Juventus, who's been at the top year after year after year. They're not far off the top either. But, no, they're not. They, they. But, I mean, we, we're far from writing them off. It is very close to the top still. Yeah. Uh, you've got Napoli. You've just come off the back of a six-nil win as well. Yep. Yep. Roma, who've come off the back of a three-nil loss. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah. It is. It is exciting. And you know, it's it's one of those where I know there's there's Milan fans everywhere that that are, that are hoping and praying that it's their year, and they've got a fantastic setup there at the moment, and. You know, with Ibrahimovic now back in in contention to play, well, he's he's now back in the squad. He could hopefully inspire them a little bit more. They've only lost one game in all season, and that's phenomenal. When you look at their squad compared to others, no one had them in with a shout of winning the Serie A title. A lot of that's down actually to the centre back partnership of Kiar and Romagnoli, Romagnoli, sorry, yeah. and then Donnarumma as well at the back, defensive solidity, and then some some exciting talents. Bit further forward, but yeah, my money would be on into there. I'm not not sure about you, but no, I probably tend to agree, and I think that that would be my choice to win as well. Mm. I quite like Inter. Fantastic. Well, also in Germany as well, it's been one of those weeks. I mean, some things never change. And Bayern are top of the table, uh, and they won by two goals to one. But just before we get to that, and Borussia Dortmund playing Mainz, Jurgen Klopp the derby, yeah, yeah, Jurgen Klopp derby, and yeah, it was it was a Quite a you know strange game. Dortmund had a lot of chances. Wonderful, wonderful Mainz goal, actually. Oh, yeah. Fantastic goal, uh, wasn't it? It's Tonali. One of those with a, Thank you. a fantastic 30-yard effort. I actually think I'm looking at the goalkeeper slightly, to be honest, for Dortmund, as I, as I yeah. usually do. Well, uh, I think Roman there was a few, one of those. Yeah, that, a few uh, goalkeeping errors, actually, in the Bundesliga this weekend. Yeah, There, there was one in the Wolfsburg game that was yeah. comical. I mean, it, but yeah, German... yeah, Dortmund also had a penalty, didn't they? Which Marco Royce, who you would expect to score nine times out of ten, put yeah. it wide. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund's so, in a bit of a crisis. No, because they've set Lucien Favre, who I thought was someone who, brilliant managerial CV, never really cut it at Dortmund, because every time they looked like they were going to do something, they crumbled. And yeah. it's difficult because you don't really... Dortmund's not somewhere where you get a Jose Mourinho because they're a club that puts a lot of faith in youngsters. So you want someone who's going to develop the youngsters, but you also want someone who's going to take them on and get, break, bridge that mentality gap between those and Bayern Munich. I don't think Lucien Favre ever did that. And right now, I don't, they, haven't, they haven't appointed a new manager yet. And it's it's an awkward one. It's a tough one to manage Borussia Dortmund. I actually think... Ralph Hasenhutl would be a great appointment, really. Yeah. The one who could do a job there. The Austrian. It's quite funny, actually. Uh, yeah. 
I know what you're going to say. McManaman called yeah. him a, a German. talking about the German spirit. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. Always I mean, to see that he's done his research. No, I know. Yeah, just like us. Um, so what? <laughs> we, what? I mean, you, you talk about yeah, Wolfsburg. You talked a bit about Wolfsburg as well, and RB Leipzig. I mean, Leipzig really. They've got they've been winning a lot of games and getting a few quite a lot of clean sheets this season. Like, such as the defensive solidity that they have in the team. But they are missing a Timo Werner-type striker because in many games, they've just lacked that. Yeah. That they just need someone who's going to come on and miss all the chances. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, they're replacing, replacing um, Timo Werner with uh, Alexander Soloff, and it's not really like for like, is it? It's not quite. It's not, no. It's not. No. And you've got to say, I do think in Germany, and we say this a lot, Julian Nagelsmann's a phenomenal coach, and to be second yeah. with Leipzig He's... is really testament to him. He's somebody who you would imagine will be at the very pinnacle of European football. And that's not to say that he's not already with Leipzig, because obviously they did very well in the Champions League last season. But you'd imagine you'll see him at a a club that has maybe a bigger wallet. Yeah, no, sure. I mean... Yeah, I mean, Germany is quite predictable in the sense that Bayern are top as well, and they won 2-1 this weekend as well. And it was... Yeah. It's Lewandowski his 21st goal of the season. And yeah. that's the most goals. The most goals at halfway point in Bundesliga history. There you go. Two one over Freiburg, and Muller also scored. It was a you know a, a, another another fine Bayern win. They do have a few. They've had a few mishaps this season, but not enough. They have yeah to push them off the top no. of the table. Yeah, just a, I mean Hansi Flick. I don't know how he didn't win Coach of the Year. To be honest, oh, I agree. The World Coach of the Year. Well, you I would agree. because Klopp won particularly. But, uh, well, yeah, obviously, but particularly the the emphaticness of how they won the Champions League. Yeah, no, absolutely, and the way that the place they were when he took over as well. They just lost five one to Eintracht Frankfurt, and uh, that lost the previous manager Iko Kovac's job. So yeah. they were in trouble. Well, you mentioned Frankfurt. Which want to give mm. a quick shout out to. A certain striker who's come back and scored two goals straight away, Luka Jovic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luka Jovic, uh, well, well, well pointed out there, Jordan. Yeah, phenomenal player for Frankfurt, just like Sebastian Allaire, really. And it's quite, um, quite ironic that both players were sold. Both had aspirations to do particularly well. Yeah. One went to Real Madrid, one went to West Ham. Neither's really fulfilled it. It's almost like the four-four-two worked well for both of them. Although Jovic has gone back and scored, and Allaire scored for Ajax. On his, when he went to um back to yeah. uh, Ajax, so. I, I imagine Halaer will do well there. Yeah, no, I imagine I mean, Jovic. I imagine Jovic will do well back at Frankfurt as well. Well, yeah, we, we hope so. We hope we hope these players do do quite well. And you know, as, as I say, it's it's quite sad when you look at the Bundesliga table. You see Bayern top, Leipzig second, Leverkusen third, Dortmund in fourth. It felt you know with Bayern's troubles yeah. that this maybe could be their year, but it just doesn't seem to be the case. Mönchengladbach after doing so well in previous seasons in eighth, Schalke at the bottom. Yeah, seven points. It's not looking too good. It's not looking too great. Um, no, and Mines have just got a point against Dortmund. Yeah, and Mines have just got a point against Dortmund. They were uh, also at the bottom, also with seven points. Uh, we'll go to France actually now a little bit because France has been somewhat entertaining in terms of the PSG. Well, it's a bit, a little bit closer than it normally yeah. is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we have two people at the top. We have Lille at the top. 2-1 win over Rennes uh, at the um, top of the table. And also PSG with uh, 42 points as well. Yeah. Obviously so, PSG with the, the better goal difference. goal difference. Yeah. But, but Leon in third, they lost to Met, Metz one, 
one nil. I'm butchering some of this pronunciation. <laughs> one nil, yeah, uh, to Metz. Um, um, it is, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those where it's a shame because yeah. you'd imagine yeah, now PSG Pochettino in charge. I think he'll probably take his take a trophy here, a domestic title. Yeah, I'd, trophy. I'd imagine it, it's yeah. inevitable at this point. The odds it's are good to see that Leo are doing so well. well. Yeah, I mean, league ends a league and Monaco a fourth as well, 36, so not too far off. But league ends a, a league really where you've got PSG, but you've also got a lot of exciting young players in. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a very good league for, for development, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Bundesliga too. I think as well, but that's slightly more higher profile, I think, than league. And, uh, but France, yeah, aside from PSG, is quite a competitive league. I suppose you could say the same. With the Bundesliga, aside from other, other teams, we sort of go there. And that's quite a nice, easy summary. PSG back at the top after a little bit of time off there. But yeah, we'd expect Pochettino to get his first league trophy of the season. So yeah, and then we'll move on to the <laughs> Super Cup in Spain. And it was this weekend. It was this weekend, and there were some incredible goals, actually. Uh, one in particular that you'd like to talk about, Jordan, I think. Well, it wasn't actually a goal that I wanted to talk about most. It oh, was okay. Messi. You know, Messi, we, as, you, as you know, it's probably why you're thinking of it. He scored an unbelievable ah, yeah. a number of goals, but yeah. he actually got his first red card, and it was in the, the very last minute of their uh, 3-2 loss. It was one of those games, I think, where, I mean, in Archie Williams, I saw that goal... What a goal. Edge of the box. Top corner. In off the post. Just a really lovely finish, I think. And uh, you look at me puzzled. Go and check on YouTube. Do your research. Um, so I think it's one of... I mean, it was just... It was it was quite noteworthy. But you, you're right, actually, with the sending off. Yeah, quite good. I think it's I, uh, a good sign for, for my Ronald Koeman hatred that he's continuing to lose. They're starting to be a little bit better in in the league, but it's yeah. nice to see that he's he's lost the Super Cup. Oh, fantastic impartiality, <laughs> lovely as um, always. Lovely, yes. Yeah. So obviously, La Liga was uh, on a break this weekend because of the Super Cup, and it'll be back with a bang um, in it. Well, shortly next weekend, and I think it's one of the. I think it's only right, I suppose, that we do look a little bit at La Liga as it is now. And Atletico doing so well, four points clear in La Liga with two games with two in hand. Games hand. And yeah. it could be Simeone this year again, I think. It's, it's certainly looking good. And they've they've conceded six goals in 16 games. And I mean, we've, we've looked at Man City's defensive record, but that's that's on another level. Although what it? you would say is that Simeone plays in a way so pragmatically that you'd expect that to be the case. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. But all that really matters is the, the end result, isn't it? Yeah, but you're right. I'm always right. So that was a nice way of concluding that. And that was a nice way of rounding off all of that. Jordan's been Jordan. I've been the... I've tried. Bentley. The Johnny Bentley. The Johnny Bentley. I do think it's um, it's going to take some getting used to that. But yeah, we'll be back next week with another look at some of the most interesting topics in football. We'll have another club feature. We hope to get through all the Premier League teams in that feature. And we also hope to cover as much foreign football as we can to keep you updated with everything all things football you enjoy that Jordan yeah it was good fantastic you had to say that it was in the script so take care everyone we should be on next week Spotify iTunes uh, Google Podcasts and all that good stuff but this week it might just be on Transistor because we do need that episode the first episode of the new series to go through those rightful processors 
So until next time, please give us a follow on social media. I think it's at 15 MoffPod. And 15 MoffPod. And we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. <laughs>